Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 21. Let's share in God's good word together. Tell me what you think of this story. A man had two sons. He went up to the first and said, son, go out for the day and work in the vineyard. The son answered, I don't want to. Later on, he thought better of it and went. The father gave the same command to the second son. He answered, sure, glad to, but he never went. Which of the two sons did what the father asked? They said, the first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's a rare condition this day and age to read any good news. Did I do that? Family matters. We're going to talk about that. Not that. Not that family matters. Do you all remember Steve Urkel? Oh, yeah. The Urkel, he's got those pants. Oh, my gosh. We all, all of us have a Steve Urkel in our life, don't we? Like, did I do that? I mean, or sometimes we are the Steve Urkel in people's lives. We're going to talk about family matters because the thing is, when I talk to people, when we pray, I want you to think about your prayers. When you talk to God about things, isn't, isn't it almost always about your family? Isn't it almost always about your, your primary relationships? Lord, help me with my uh, spouse. Help me with my children. Help me with my parents. Help me with my grandkids. Help me with my coworkers. Our, our family matters. Our work family, our, our family of origin, uh, our extended family, it matters. So if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And we're going to remember briefly uh, where we've been. This is our month where we do a relationship series. And so this is our fourth and final week of the installment. So week one was this. We have to start with this. Read it with me. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Right? So you are beloved. You have bestowed worth because God created you and called you very good. Very good. You are beloved and you are worthy of love and compassion and grace because God, because you belong to God. You have bestowed worth, and that's going to be true for every other person on the planet as well. Now, when we talk about love, what we're talking about is to will the good of the other. Will you say that with me? Love is to will the good of the other. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It is an, a decision of your will, of your heart, of your soul, that you are going to do the good for another person. Now, you may need to do that in many different ways. Uh, last week, Pastor Andy uh, talked to us about what the Bible says. Uh, it kind of puts people in three different categories. And so if we're going to love these folks, we have to love them differently um, in order to will the good of them and to keep ourselves and our families uh, safe and healthy and wise. So the first group uh, is that wise people... When they receive truth, they receive it gladly, and they respond and change. They assimilate the information, they accommodate their life to that information, and they change. Now, if you are a manager, you want to choose these people. You want to move them up in your organization because they almost never make the same mistake twice. Now, everybody makes mistakes, but these folks, they make a mistake, and you call them out on it, and you know what they say? It's unbelievable. They say this, thank you. I didn't know. They, they would say something. This, this is my hope for me. I don't always get it right. But what I hope is when somebody says, Mark, you know, when you, when you said that thing to that person over there, that really came off rude. And what I want to be able to say is, it did? I'm so sorry. Let me go apologize. Thank you so much. I was unaware of that. 
And, and I, that wasn't my intention. Thank you so much. And I go and I make that right. And then I'm more aware around those kinds of comments. Does that make sense? Right? You don't have to be a brilliant person to do this. You do have to be a humble person to do this. You have to be a teachable person to do this. And as you grow, my prayer is that I'll be a better pastor for you next year than I am this year. Wouldn't it be great if your friends knew and watched you grow? They said, you know, you're a lot better friend to me this year than you were last year or the year before. You're really growing. And, and don't you love people like that in your life that when, when you say something to them because either your feelings were hurt or you just see something's kind of askew and they go, wow, thank you. I'm going to work on that. And they do. Those are wise people. You want to be around them. You want to choose them. You want to spend your life with them because good things happen around wise people. Isn't that true? If you have an employee and every time you correct them, they get it and they actually figure it out and they get better, isn't that the sort of person you want to be with? Yeah, this is what the Bible calls wise. Now, unfortunately, not everybody is wise all the time. Sometimes we're having a bad day and we're foolish. And, and you can say the exact same thing to a foolish person and you say, well, you know, when you said this thing to this person over here, you know, that, that was really rude and I think you hurt their feelings. And they say, well, they deserved it. Now, you can keep talking to that person if you want to, but then you become the fool. Right? Because that's never going to change. If they're Teflon Tom and everything deflects off of them, and it's the, the, the conversation, the problem is never in the room, don't waste your breath. This is what Jesus calls casting your pearls before swine. It doesn't do them any good, and it just breaks the relationship. And if you nag a foolish person, they'll hate you for it. Right? They're not, they're not going to say thank you. They're, they're going to be angry with you. So you don't do that. If, if you're in a relationship with a foolish person or you're being foolish yourself, what you need is a hard limit and a consequence. You need a boundary. Right? And have you all ever talked to your 18-year-old who's home from college about their curfew? About the reasons why you might not want to be out past midnight. How well does that go? Do they say, thanks, mom and dad. We'll be in at 1145. That was a great argument. No. You say, if you want to use this car tomorrow, you'll be in by, right? A hard limit, a hard consequence. And they can either do it or not do it. That's up to them. You've got your power and control. They have their power and control. They can choose it or not choose it. Limits and consequences when people are acting foolish. That's the only way you can stay safe in that relationship. And then, of course, there's also evil people. We won't spend a lot of uh, time there. Uh, but we have to set and hold boundaries, um, particularly with foolish people and absolutely with people who intend us harm or intend bad for other people. And they're out there. So if you come across somebody who intends you or your family harm, what you do is you limit your exposure. You limit your exposure. And you can still love them. You can still will the good for them. You're not willing harm from them, but you're also no, not getting in their car. Right? You're not hanging out at their house. You're not spending exp extended time. Now, there may be somebody, even in your family system, um, that you have to see or you think you have to see at Christmas, um, and they show up, um, and you sense, well, this isn't going to end well, and so you leave. You don't mean them harm, but you're not going to put you or your family or your children in harm's way, and so you simply exit the situation. Now, this, this has all different sorts of uh, times to it, and some of you, if you think back to Thanksgiving, you think back to Christmas, you can almost set your watch by it if you've had 10 or more Christmases with a family. You know that at hour 16, somebody's going to lose their mind. <laughs> so you know what you do? You leave at hour 15, right? That's what you do. Because you will the good, you want the relationship, you want to stay in relationship, but you have to limit your exposure because you know at hour 16, 
grandma's just going to lose her junk. So you, so you got to step out before that happens. And if you pay attention, you normally can see it coming. You know, her knee starts to twitch under the table or something. You're like, Grandma, i got to go see you. Okay? So what the Bible tells us about this, particularly about good and evil, says this in Romans 12. Uh, this is Paul writing to the early church in Rome. He says, love from the center of who you are. Really do love. Don't fake it. But then he says this, run for dear life from evil. You don't want to be anywhere around it. Because here's the thing. There are really good, wonderful, foolish people and even Christian people who get caught in the crossfire of evil. Because they don't run from it. They play with it. They tinker with it. They hang out around it. And then they get shot or harmed or beaten up or abused because they're hanging around evil. And it'll get you. The Bible says don't do that. You run from that. You hold on to dear life for good. Now... Um, so this doesn't get too heavy. I want to brag on the church for a little bit. Many of you all uh, participated in a survey um, just a few weeks ago. We had 76 men and 147 women participate. Thank you if you did this. And uh, I want to share with you, there's some really good stuff to report. Um, 96% of the men of our church and 93% of the women say that the most important other person in their life cares about their feelings. Isn't that nice? Well, that's great. I mean, that is a strong A. And, and then we, we asked, well, do you listen to each other? Well, 92% of the men of our congregation and 92% of the women said, yeah, we do. That's, that's really good. Now, I know that the people who take the surveys are the people that think they have a good relationship. I mean, I, I get that. I know it's skewed. But, but, then, but then we said, well, do they take good care of each other? Yeah, 93%. Nine, these are huge numbers, friends. You think about it, this is really great. These are some wise people. You want to hang out with these people. And then, uh, that I'm important in our decision-making. I thought this was interesting. 93% of men said yes, but we know that's the women who really make the decisions. <laughs> right? 95%. Yep, yep, I'm important in the decisions. That's, that's good. That's healthy. And then, this, this, is, this, one, this made me go, aw, we're very good friends. 95% of men said they were really good friends with their wife. And 93% of women said they were really good friends um, with their husband or the other person that's really important to them in life. And then this sort of surprised me, but I'm really happy to report this, that 91% of men think that their uh, significant other finds them physically attractive, and 96% of the women in our church are hot, <laughs> at least according to their significant other. They feel good about that. I mean, I'm not feeling good up here today. Like, we're, we're a good-looking bunch here, right? So, so feel good about yourself. There's lots to celebrate. Um, but I also want to share with you some, some other things that we just want to watch out for. Uh, research suggests some of these things. Um, Carl Pilmer at a Cornell University, he was a gerontologist. He studied 700 old people, elderly folks. And amazingly, 100%, 700 out of 700, said at one point that the long marriage was the best thing in their lives. That was the very best thing in their lives. But they also said that marriage was really hard or really, really, really hard but it's the best thing in their life. And, 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 you know, I think marriage gets a bad rap sometimes. You see it on the comedies or this, or people write books, and, uh, and they think they're being funny. Uh, Tim Dowling wrote a book called How to Be a Husband, and he wrote this, and there's some truth in it, but it's painful. He says, being married is like sharing a basement with a fellow hostage. After five years, there are very few off-putting things you won't know about each other. After 10 years, there are none. Remember the first time you tooted in front of your spouse? <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't your first date, right? 
I mean, these things happen. And, and, you know, in the early days, you say, I'm sorry. And then, you know, after 28 years, you're like, really? Again? You know, it's just it's hostage taking. Right? But here's the truth about marriage. Married people have better health, better wealth, and even better sex lives than their single counterparts. It's absolutely true. You, you get to know your partner better. Uh, you're healthier. Um, divorce is super expensive, friends. It just is. It's super expensive. It, it decimates uh, many uh, financial lives, in particular, if you're a woman, pay attention to this. Uh, the poverty level for women who are divorced is way above everybody else. It's really devastating. You have to be super careful. Um, you, just, you just do. Because there's some really harsh realities, particularly if you're a woman on the back end of divorce. So, um, this is uh, true, but it's also hard to live into. So, if you have, are not yet married, if you've never been married, I want you to pay attention for sure. And so, if you want to stay married, right, if... And this is just statistics. This isn't biblical. This is just flat-out research. If you want to get married, stay married, get married between the ages of 26 because your brain's not fully formed until you're 26. That's true. And 32. Research says that you have a 5% chance of getting divorced more every year after 32. It goes down and down and down and down and down. 5% every year after 32. So if you can choose it, Get married for the first time between 26 and 32. Have a job, have a college degree, and don't have any kids or pregnancies before you get engaged. Those marriages almost always last. Now, if you're like me, you're like, uh, I got married at 23, and um, you know my job was sketchy, but I married well, right? And so you get, I'm not saying you can't make it, but if you get to choose, that's a really safe bet. The other thing is just because you're in church, you're more likely to stay married. Devout people of faith get divorced slightly less often than people for whom faith is not a big deal. Research bears this out. This wasn't a Christian study. This was just, uh, you know, a, a latitudinal study of people across the board. And, and it is a slight, but it's a significant difference. They can tell these people who have, a, have God in their life are better able to make it than people who don't. And then, this will not surprise you if you have kids, both the arrival and the departure of children are pressure points on the marriage. It's just hard when this happens, Um, particularly uh, if you allow your children too high of a place in your marriage, because the more you focus on the kids when they leave, uh, the bigger, um, you know, the gap uh, and the darkness that's left when they leave, and that's a very real deal, and so we have to be really careful when we have kids and when the kids exit the home. Um, Those are pressure points in, in every marriage. So the other thing that exacerbates this, of course, is that parents are spending more time with their children, a lot more time with their children, than parents with equivalent resources did decades ago. And so you think about um, your own upbringing with your parents uh, or your great-grandparents, right? Uh, Most people, when I grew up, were not on traveling softball, soccer teams where you're traveling to Nebraska, Florida, other things, and spending these huge amounts of time with your kids. They were, I mean, when I grew up, um, you know, after school, and I'd be inside. My mom would say, why are you inside? Like, Go. And I'm like, well, when do I have to be back? She goes, well, when the lights come on. And you come home. I mean, you'd have three, four, five hours of autonomy time as a kid, you know, from elementary school up, up through high school. Uh, there weren't these, I, I'm in every little piece of my kid's life. It just wasn't like that. And what we're finding is, is it's actually detrimental. Um, the, now, I'm not saying ignore your kids. But I am saying that if, if you expect your kid to be the next Tiger Woods or LeBron James, you're just in for a whooping. 
right? And unless you actually have scouts at your games, then we'll talk. But for most people, you, the, the child feels way too much pressure for performances that is never going to happen. And, and it's just madness. It's just madness. And then the child is carrying the weight of the family, and then they go to college, and the parents are just lost because the entire center of their world just exited, and they got a bunch of nothing. Does this make sense? I mean, kids really need to be in their proper place in the family. If you'd like to know more about this, uh, you can go to Time Magazine, The Science of Marriage. It's out right now. Uh, and they, they've got a whole thing just on this if you'd like to know more about that. So what, what do we do? What are, what are some things that we know to do? Well, first of all, figure out specifically what makes your partner feel loved. Uh, Gary Chapman years ago came out with a book called Five Love Languages. And so he says there are acts of service. That's mine. I, I love it when, when Chantelle or the boys do something with me. I'm like, hey, let's go clean the garage. And they're like, oh. You know, but I love it. I'm like, it'll be fun. And they just look at me like I've lost my mind. But to do something together, you know, having a, a job or a service, that, I love that. They don't love that. Um, but other people, it makes a big difference to them if they have words of affirmation, uh, if, you, if you really lift them up. Um, others, quality time. Chantel loves quality time um, with, with me. She's like, oh, that's nice. I just want your time. Undivided uh, time. Physical touch is important to many relationships and receiving gifts. Um, and, and the thing is, most people don't grow up in the same household and get married. That's a good thing, right? And so in my family... At Christmas time, uh, being the son of a nonprofit pastor, um, when it came to Christmas every year, uh, I got an apple in my stocking and an orange in my stocking, uh, some nuts, uh, a candy cane, socks, and underwear, because that's what I needed, right? And I would often get uh, a pair of jeans, because that's what I needed, because, you know, you're just starting to get worn out. And so whatever you needed in October, you did not get until Christmas, that's how it was in my family. And so everybody got the actual thing that you needed at Christmas, right? Many of you grew up in homes where you never received anything that you actually needed at Christmas. You got stuff you wanted. And so for me, you know, giving and receiving gifts has never been a big deal. But if it's a big deal to you, I've got a lot of problems because it's, I mean, it's not my wheelhouse. I got to work really hard to figure out what is a good and thoughtful gift because I never saw that growing up in my, in my home. I just didn't. Uh, the other thing that we can do, and you can do this, and it's really important, is apologize to people. You can do it. We'll try it. I am sorry. Say that with me. I am sorry. I know for some of you that's the first time you've ever said it. But you can do it. And then if, so, if you are fortunate enough to actually get an apology, forgive them, right? Just so say, I forgive you. Let's try that. I forgive you. These things keep you in relationship with people. This isn't about marriage necessarily. It's about any relationship. You're going to hurt people's feelings, and they're going to hurt your feelings. We have to be able to give and take and be back in relationship. Now, here's something that you might find surprising. You also need to take time for yourself. If you are in a reasonably healthy relationship, right? We're not talking about foolish and evil. We're talking about sort of standard. It's really helpful for each person in the relationship, whether you're good friends, whether you're roommates, whether you're married, whatever it is, to actually take time for yourself. To be able to say to your husband, your wife, your friend, or your roommate, to be able to say, you know what, um, Friday afternoon, I'm going to go swimming, or I'm going to go for a run, or I'm going to go take photographs, and I'm going to be gone for about the next four hours. I'll see you this evening at eight. And they go. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. 
That's wonderful if you're in a good and healthy relationship. Now, if you've got somebody that's off page in addiction every time they get 30 minutes, that's a different category. But if you're in a good, healthy relationship, that's super important because people need to feel like they have their own power and control in their life. Does this make sense? Everybody needs that. You, you don't have to do every single thing together. And you don't have to fake like you like doing every single thing together uh, all the time because not everybody likes everything else their spouse does or, or their good friend. Does this make sense? If you don't want to jog with your husband and your wife, don't go jog with them because you just make it miserable, right? For the other person, like, hurry up. I don't want to do this, you know. So it's okay. You can have your time. And then, this was really surprising to me, but super important. Do amplify your partner's positive. Celebrate their success. This is one of the key indicators about healthy relationships with a coworker uh, or your spouse. If they win an award at their work, take them out to dinner. Celebrate them. Buy them flowers. Do something nice. Get them a plaque. Really lift that up because who else is going to do that for them? No one. I mean, if you're the significant person in someone's life, really celebrate it when they do something great. That's your job. That's what you do. You are that other person's person. And interestingly, this is more than twice as important as when something bad happens and you're there for someone. I mean, we often talk about that and we should do that. And we need to do that, of course. Uh, But this is much more important. When people say, well, you know what I really appreciate about uh, this other person in my life is that, you know, when when I got this promotion, they, they really just celebrated with me. And they were the only person that celebrated with me. You know, because I guarantee you the other guy that was buying for that promotion and taking you out, right? I mean, you need your people to do this for you. Do say thank you. You're almost twice as likely to stay married or stay in a relationship if you simply say thank you, if you simply show appreciation to one another. I mean, when's the last time you said thank you for somebody in your family taking out the trash or feeding the dog or mowing the lawn or doing the laundry? You know, the thing is, those things aren't so much a grind if you're actually appreciated for doing them, right? It's just that when you feel like you're taken advantage of or you're not seen about it, uh, so just say thank you. Staying together gets better and better as we age. John Gottman, who we reference a lot around here, he's the nation's leading marriage researcher. He says the surprising thing is that the longer people are together, the more they sense uh, kindness returning, sort of like your courtship returning. Uh, and it's revealed that they become very much like dating again, particularly when you get that last kid out of the house. We're so close so close one of the things that i've stepped into and then just learned from me on this this is terrible i'm not proud of it but i'm i'm prone to do this Chantal and i'll go out to dinner we're like well, let's go out to dinner let's go do this nice thing and we will and and we're having this nice deal or we're taking a walk and then i say something like so where are we with the taxes oh my gosh like i'm lucky to be alive right because as I'm, as I'm cycling down, I'm thinking about all this stuff that's not church, right? And so I'm thinking, well, where are we with this credit card? Or where are we with our plans for our trip? Or where are we with the boys? You know, is Noah coming home this weekend? Does it make sense? I'm all about logistics in my head. But when I do that, she never knows when we can actually just be together. Because next thing you know, she's in a meeting she didn't plan, right? I'm having a business meeting. I'm having a family business meeting. But she's like... Could, could you not do that 11 o'clock at night when I'm trying to go to sleep? Does it make sense? We do this to each other all the time. And you just have to be like, nope, I'm not doing that. We're taking a walk. You can talk about birds, cats, dogs, terrible streets, whatever you want to. Oncoming cars, 
but not logistics. And particularly if you have small kids, this will wax you, right? Because all you're talking, it seems like the only thing you talk about is how to get Susie to dance, right? Or, or Bob to soccer or where are we this weekend with the basketball tournament or and, and, and. Does this make sense? So you, you actually need to be able to, because you didn't do that when you were recording, remember? You actually talked about, I don't know, music or having fun or going dancing or whatever. Probably not uh, child rearing, okay? So let's go to the other don'ts. Don't make derogatory remarks about a partner's desirability or their earning power or, or really anything, but particularly those two are super hard. Um, and then uh, this one, I, I, I kind of cringe to tell you this. I don't want to tell you this because I see it and hear it all the time. And that is do not interrupt your person. If they're telling a story, don't correct them. But does it really matter if it was Tuesday or Wednesday when this thing happened? Do you think the other person cares? No, they just think you're rude. I mean, really, that's, that's what they think. When you interrupt your spouse, the people on the other end, they don't think badly of their spouse. They think badly of you. You're like, that's kind of a jerk move. Right? Why? Don't do that. And, and I will admit, I'm terrible at this. Because sometimes Chantel's telling a story, and I think, oh, what they really want to know is this. Oh, oh, oh. I get really excited, right? I'm like, oh, and tell them about that and this. And I mean well, because I'm all about the story, but it's a terrible thing. Uh, now, I just have to be like, mm. you know, she's a good storyteller. She can tell the story. Um, but I, I struggle with this. So if you're an interrupter, well, we can start at Interrupters Anonymous here at the church with me, because I'm the lead interrupter. I'm sorry. Um, so what does the Bible teach us about this very quickly? Um, first of all, that there are these different kinds of people. There, there just are. And so Joshua um, says this very clearly, right? Many of you all will know this scripture, but I want you to hear the scripture in its wholeness. He says this, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this name whom you will serve, right? He owns this. Not everybody is going to serve the Lord like Joshua is. Whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, those are all choices. But then he says this, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, notice the power in that. He's not trying to say that every person in his realm of influence is going to live like he lives. No, no, no. He understands he has no control of other people. He has control over him. And that's important. If you want to be miserable, try to control everybody else. It's hard enough just to control yourself, isn't it? So here's the truth of it. We can't control other people's behavior. Say that with me. We can't control other people's behavior. We can control our response. That we can do. And that we need to do. It's about our character, about Christ living in us. Now, here's the other thing that we learn from the scripture. Not everyone you meet is nice and responsible. Now, you are nice and responsible people, of course. But not everybody you meet will be nice and responsible. They won't believe what you believe. They won't value what you value. And that's okay. That's theirs to work through. Your boundary is how you respond in love to every person that you meet. So Jesus actually says this. He says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the golden rule, right? This is the law and the prophets. But then he says, and people stop reading, but we need to read all of it. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by what? Their fruits, their actions, right? So he says, are grapes gathered from thorns? What's the answer? No. Are figs from thistles? What's the answer? No. So in the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Right? So the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. That's what he's saying. 
you're not going to get grapes from thorns. It's not going to happen. So what he's really saying is this. Don't fall for talk or title. Look at what they do. That's what matters, what people do. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what they do. So Jesus says it like this. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard. He says, I won't. He later changes his mind. Father goes to the second son. He says, go. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, I will, dad. Sure, sure, I will. But he doesn't. And then he asks, well, which one did the will of the father? And they said, well, you know, the first. And Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, I'll remind you, these are people way outside. They're not supposed to do anything good. They're going to go into the kingdom of God ahead of you, Jesus says. I want you to hear this. Because it's about not what they say. It's not about what they believe. It's about what they do. Because he says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But they did. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, they believed John. They followed him. And even after you saw it, you didn't change your minds and believe him. But they did. So here's the thing. As people in the kingdom, right? We ought not just be friends with people who call themselves Methodists or even Christians. What we ought to do is befriend people who do the things that Christ did, regardless of their title, regardless of what they say, regardless of their creed. Because Jesus says, don't look at what they say. He says, look at what they do. And you all have come across this. You've had some people that don't fit the right title or the, the right bill or the right social, but Man, when, they, when you look at their life, they do the right thing. Haven't you met those people? It blows your mind. You're like, they're Baptist, and they do the right thing. Like, how is this possible? I'm teasing. I have lots of Baptist friends, right? But it's about what we do. So, Paul writes to the early church in Galatia, right? There's a lot of diversity. People are trying to figure out who's in and who's out. And he says, no, no, no. You're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, you know what's going on if Jesus' love and spirit is in them. Because it looks like this. Read them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, so the fruit of the spirit is, say it with me, self-control, not other control. Oh, there we are again. Most of the problems in church work, most of the problems in the world is about other control. Isn't that true? Because the truth is we're not very good at self-control and we'd rather point out other people's worse self-control than ours. Well, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at them because that way you don't have to look at me and I don't have to change. The thing is, if you work on the self-control, you'll care less about the other control. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you work on self-control, and if you're honest, you'll know that you have no business judging anybody else because you're so messed up yourself. Right? Right? When you think about your darkest moment, you're not on top of that. You haven't been on top of that in 20 years. That's true for all of us. And so if you, if you really own that, you're much less likely to step over here and start poking at other people. Because oftentimes that poke's going to come back to you. So, what, is, what does God say about the in-laws and parents? This is a toughie, so we're not going to stay long. The Lord God said this, it is not good that man should be alone. No, we're meant for community. Then the man said, wow, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's seeing Eve naked for the first time. He's seeing, this is the first man seeing the first woman without clothes on. He's like, yes, wow, man, whoa, man. That's what, that's what that is. 
for out of man this was taken. He's like, yes, this is not a tiger, right? This isn't like all the other animals. This is, this is like for me. And then it says this, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh, which is a euphemism for sex, right? Because one flesh, that's what that is, right? So that's what the Bible's saying. So you, you leave mom and dad. So here's the, here's the teaching. Sex is good and leaving your parents is good. You have to separate that out. Now, here's, here's the thing that you would want to know from the research data. There were three different sets of data from Canadian researchers, and they found that sex played an even bigger role than money and happiness. If you were poor and had sex once a week and you really liked that with your partner, you were happy. But if you had a lot of money and you weren't getting any sex, you were sad. Lots and lots of different studies. So if you're married, pay attention. The other thing is if you're early married and you're trying to get help on your relationship from your in-laws, stop it. Because it will boomerang and whack you here in a couple of years. Because when your spouse figures out that you've been figuring out how to you know, work your husband or your wife by his mom or her dad, and, then, and they figure that out, you're going to have a very hard conversation. I mean, seriously. This happens all the time with kids in their 20s. They're like, oh, my mom-in-law's so great. She told me how to, you know, you know, work my husband, you know, so I can get what I want. And then, then they come see me like a year later because it is on, because they feel betrayed, right? Because it's not about other control, is it? It's about self-control. And when you start to try to control the other in the relationship, you're in for a beating. Now, at the close of every one of these relationship series, I normally get this sort of question. Well, we've stepped in it as a couple. Every couple does. You're not alone. And then they say this. Well, I think that I can forgive them. And this is super important, friends. Read it with me. Forgiveness has to do with the past, and it is free. We all need to forgive. If it's in the past, we need to let it go. We need to start over. We need to look forward, and we need to go together. But then, particularly if you've got some unhealth in the relationship, the person who needs the forgiveness expects things to go back the way they were before. And that doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Because, read the second part with me, trust has to do with the future and it is earned. It's not free. If you want to trust somebody who's betrayed you, it's going to take time. You can do it. You can do it. With God's help, you can do it. But it takes time. It takes moment after moment after moment after moment of the right fruit, of the right thing to rebuild which has been broken. So forgiveness, yes. Immediate, today, past, it's free. Somebody says, trust me. They're like, give me some time. I might. Give me six months of faithfulness. Give me a year of faithfulness. Get a job. Help out. Make a difference. Then I can trust you. I've forgiven you, but, but I'm not carrying you another three, five years. Does it make sense? Super important. And I'm happy to talk to you about this more. So here's your action steps. We have all trespassed boundaries of those around us. Think of it like a, a diseased tree um, hanging over your fence from your neighbor's yard. With days like yesterday, it, your fence is going to get whacked, right? And, and it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be uncomfortable. So it makes more sense to have an early conversation with your neighbor and go, you might want to trim your tree before you have to pay for a new fence because I'm, I'm not paying for that because that's on you because that's your tree. Make sense? It happens to all of us in some way. So when we reach across another person's fence line or boundary, pain happens. 
and it, and it happens in every relationship. So we all cross these boundaries with the winds of change or the storms of life come. And so we have all trespassed the boundaries of those around us. We just, we just have. So I want to invite you to consider how you have hurt those most important to you and ask God to show you how you can make amends. Ask them to forgive you. Figure out ways where you can earn that trust back and start anew because relationships are the most important thing in all the world. I pray that you'll have good ones, that you'll be wise as you hear this truth and accommodate and assimilate it into your life and move forward in grace. Amen?